most special visit back was my senior year of, of being at Miami. And my freshman year roommate and I went back to Tappan and we went to our room. So the RA was at the front door and we weren't allowed to be in there technically, but we said we're seniors. We just want to see our room before we leave. And um, we were able to do that, which is pretty neat. And the students that were living in there actually let us inside and said, oh my gosh, you guys lived here. So that was pretty neat. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick, and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School here at Miami University. Today, I'm joined by Mary Tarani, who graduated with a BS in marketing, a minor in Spanish and business analytics, and is currently the manager for sales strategy and planning at Newell Brands in Chicago. Good morning, Mary. Hi, Dean Derek. How are you? Good morning. You can call me Jenny, so we, we have to get the formalities out of the way. I still have the formality. You're still going to be my Dean. So. <laughs> you can call me whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> So, so hi, Miriam. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast, Beyond High Street. During the podcast, I'm going to weave through a range of topics so that our listeners can get to know you more about your journey and your reflections along the way. So let me begin with perhaps the most important question. You're a pharma school alum. You graduated with a degree in marketing, a minor in Spanish and business analytics. Why did you use, choose the pharma school? So it's funny, when I was looking at colleges, I, you'll see this in, in my farmer career as well, I looked at so many different options, 13 or 14 different campuses. And every time I went, I, it just wasn't the right fit. And then I visited Miami and I knew that I wanted a sweatshirt. I just, I felt the, for lack of sounding corny, I felt the magic on, on campus and I I felt like I could see myself going there and I knew the reputation of the business school. And at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go straight into farmer, if I wanted to do pre-med. So at that point, I thought, well, there's great programs in both of those. Let me start off with a microbiology course because it's a liberal arts college anyway. I have to get some science credits and start my business business curriculum. So that's kind of how it started. Are you one of these people who had a long lineage of Miami graduates in your family or are you the first to go here? I will say it was a tougher decision for my family because most folks went to Purdue. So as long as I didn't go to IU, I was probably okay. <laughs> but um, no, I, I am, I'm the first to go to Miami. So what put you off going into pre-med or into medicine? What was the trigger for that? You know, I... Grew up always thought, always thinking that was what I wanted to pursue. Um, and I started with a microbiology course in infectious diseases. And the reason I did that, you'll understand why, is I did this youth leadership forum on medicine when I was in high school. And I thought, this is what I want to do. This is going to be great. And they basically took you around to all these different fields of medicine. You went to a veterinary school at U of I, you were at U of Chicago, UIC. And I saw a live knee replacement surgery and I almost passed out. I got so sick to my stomach. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? That's just one time. It'll be fine. Like I still got to see and, and take it. Let's just put it this way. Infectious diseases did not work out so well for me at Miami. I did not like it. Um, and I felt like I was forcing a square peg into a round hole. I always joke about the fact that I've got a, a doctorate and I can't do band-aids. <laughs> so, but, but I mean, the infectious yeah. disease interest, I'm not quite sure whether that, how you feel about COVID and, and whether you're absorbed in the research around COVID or whether, or whether you're not. 
in terms of just reading about your background or interest in infectious infectious diseases i think you are probably finding the context even more interesting for different reasons it is and you know for me it's it's more so i think and this kind of translates into just life in general when there are current events things happening in the world i think it's important to read from a variety of sources formulate your own base of knowledge and um with with covid 19 is no different and in a lot of cases the most important in our lifetimes to understand the research the guidelines um how to keep our friends and families safe so so back to back to Miami. So you chose to do a minor in Spanish and, and business analytics. So I'm really yeah. curious about the reasons behind those decisions and perhaps also what different opportunities presented themselves to you because of that. Sure. So I started taking Spanish when I was in eighth grade, and it was always something that I wanted to continue to pursue. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed speaking Spanish. I always wanted to be bilingual. My dad was an immigrant. Um, so in that way, I, I always thought it was important to be bilingual. Um, so I, I kept on pursuing Spanish. So it was really important to me to keep that continuum going. And in terms of opportunities that presented themselves as a result of that, when I was in consulting at Parthenon, I had a client um, that was Spanish speaking. So I actually found myself painstakingly translating documents that were in Spanish and having more personal conversations with him as a client, as an associate, because we were able to share that connection through Spanish. So kind of interesting. It's something that I still really enjoy and love to speak whenever I can. So. Mm, I love that. That's good. So you're, you're working for New Brands. You're in marketing and uh, sales strategy and planning. Yes. So tell me about your current role and the journey that led to this role. Sure. So yes, I'm at, I'm at Newell Brands at our Outdoor and Recreation Division, which has a series of brands underneath that business unit. There is the Coleman Camping Gear, you know, the Lantern or the Cooler. There's Contigo Water Bottles, Bubba, um, Marmot is one of our entrepreneurial plant brands being an outdoor uh, outerwear and equipment company. And I ended up there actually out of consulting. I went into Newell Brands as part of a group called the Transformation Office. And the TO or Transformation Office was a central team that was tasked with mobilizing a lot of different verticals as it related to the merger of a company called Jardin and what was legacy Newell Rubbermaid. So if you know the food storage containers. And so when those two companies came together, they needed a team to make it function as the new Newell brands. So I joined that TO and I was in actually the supply chain team. I didn't know anything really about supply chain. I was coming out of private equity, commercial due diligence consulting. I never did supply chain. So I found myself on plant floors, um, learning about lean CI implementation and really working under a team of subject matter experts, which was an invaluable experience in terms of getting that exposure and understanding that part of CPG. Because I truly believe to be a leader, you need to have a really good understanding of every function that you're working with. Not the expert, but at least enough to understand where they're coming from. So really enjoyed that. And then the goal after being in the TO was to join a business unit. So we have baby, think baby jogger, appliances and cookware, Calphalon, um, home fragrance, uh, Yankee Candle. So I joined Outdoor Recreation 
And I joined the Coleman team and I've had a variety of roles to now get me to the beverage side of the business and sales strategy and planning. So it's been a little bit of a journey. <laughs> so when I looked at new brands, I was really intrigued by what I saw as an eclectic collection of brands. So, so yes. talk to me a little bit about Newell, the company, and, and how it came to acquire or, or develop so many different brands, really high profile brands, and quite a few distinct categories. Yes, it, it makes it it makes it interesting because you have a plethora of unique brands, each with their own unique identities living under one umbrella. So with that comes an immense amount of complexity, but I think there's also a lot of synergies available as well. Um, so, for example, um, when the merger happened with Legacy Newell Rubbermaid and uh, Jardin, Jardin had a plethora of businesses underneath their umbrella, and Newell Rubbermaid had brands under their umbrella. And when they came together, um, and this was prior to my time at Newell, they conducted an exercise of brand mapping. How are we going to organize all of these entities into business units that might make sense? So when you think about outdoor and recreation, Marmot and Coleman, they're outdoor brands. They go for different parts of the market. Marmot's more up the mountain, Coleman's more camping, but they're outdoor and recreation. Or you think of the baby division with Baby Jogger and Nook, or Home Fragrance with Woodwick and um, Yankee Candle. So all that said, they went through that exercise to find the brands that could work well together, capture different parts of the market, and also take advantage of those synergies. However, even above that, there's synergies as just being Newell brands. So we're able to go to market as Newell brands across our, across our um, business units and really leverage the portfolio that we have and the strength that comes from having a portfolio of that size. Well, I'm intrigued too, because COVID has had many surprises in terms of sales going up and down. So, so talk to me about what's happened with some of the brands, as much as you can disclose, because I'm just intensely curious about, sure. you know, things that we probably couldn't have predicted going into COVID with respect to sales um, by category. Sure. So what I would say is we have brands in our portfolio that were disproportionately benefited by by COVID in a way. You hate to say benefit by COVID, but they they had they experienced an increase in sales um, due to the category that they play in. And of course, there are brands that did experience some decline. What I would say in terms of the brands that benefited, I'll speak to Coleman as an example. Coleman is an outdoor brand. It's a brand that has a lot of legacy a lot of heritage has been around for quite some time. And Coleman plays in every category for the most part in outdoor. You can find a Coleman tent, you can find a Coleman cooler, a lantern. And with COVID, a lot of consumers have found the outside again. They found a way to connect outdoors, to be with their family or be in a setting that is socially distanced and safe. So with that trend, um, We've seen a, a really healthy, um, healthy trend with the with the brand in that way. So, or you look at our commercial solutions, our made commercial solutions. They make the big trash cans that go in corporate buildings and hospitals. Again, disproportionately impacted because their products are in need. So, I think what's interesting is that during um, a crisis like this, there are products that can help people lead their everyday lives in this new normal that we're trying to navigate, so. 
And tell me, are you based in Chicago or, or not? Whereabouts are you working at the moment? At the moment, I am not in Chicago. I am based in Chicago. I'm currently um, in Florida. We did the straight drive just to not fly and, and be safe and work from here. I, fitness is a big part of my life. Um, it's always been an interest. I grew up doing karate and now I like to train and, and be outside. So there's definitely an advantage to being able to go to an outdoor park and run a trail. Um, so definitely benefiting from that right now. So I woke up this morning to, I think they said nine inches of snow and I'm new to Oxford. So tell me, have you, have, what are your memories of snow, snowy days in Oxford when you were a student here? Oh goodness. So I, I certainly remember walking to campus and sliding the campus a little bit on the ice. Um, but I will say one of the most memorable stories of, of being in the snow, I will say, again, this is a podcast, so it's going to be there, but <laughs> I, drew, I drove a smart car in college for a period of time. I thought they were really cute. They're very tiny. Um, and they're not really well made for Oxford and Midwestern level snow. And at one point I was living right by United Dairy Farmers. Um, and they're the streets in Oxford, they have a deceptively uh, steep incline or decline in some areas. And I parked my smart car on the street and we had a ton of snow that night. I woke up in the morning and my car was essentially buried, couldn't get it out. And so I'm trying to get to class. I'm digging out my little smart car with a shovel and I get into the car. I'm trying to drive it. Of course it doesn't move. You know, the little tires are stuck. There's snow all around them. I can't move the smart car. And there were two students that were walking past me and both of them said, hey, do you need help? I said, oh my gosh, yes, please, thank you. So they actually helped me push my car out of the side of the, of the road where it was parked into the street so I could get going. Well, you would think it ended there. I, I got going and I got stuck again. And these two students, um, both of them came back to me and they said, we heard the car stop. Like, are you okay? No, I'm not. And they helped me push it all the way up um, to get it out of the snowbank. And I was able to get to class, but I just think it speaks to the, the community in, in Oxford and how folks are always willing to help each other out. I love this story and I've, I've shared with some people because I came from Southern California. When I moved <laughs> to Oxford, I had to buy waterproof shoes <laughs> in a town. So I think you'd appreciate that. But I did learn something. I don't think we do it here at Oxford, but you'd know this is a Chicago story. When you dig your car out, you meant to put an old chair in, in the parking spot to call dibs to that. I'd never heard of anything like it. It's controversial too. I've seen it a lot on social media. Folks will put their a chair or something to mark it as dibs and Folks are divided on, you know, if you if you clear it, do you keep it, right? I don't know. <laughs> and do you keep it for the whole winter? <laughs> That's a good question. So you mentioned you live by United Dairy. And, and have you ever been back and driven past the house or been back into the house you lived in? Yes. And, you know, I, I have gone back to campus since being part of YPAC. We go back to the annual meeting and I've come to speak to some classes and that's been really special. Um, but to me, actually, the most special visit back was my senior year of, of being at Miami. And my freshman year roommate and I went back to Tappan and we went to our room. So the RA was at the front door and we weren't allowed to be in there technically, but we said we're seniors. We just want to see our room before we leave. And um, we were able to do that, which is pretty neat. And the students that were living in there actually let us inside and said, oh my gosh, you guys lived here. So 
that was pretty neat. It's kind of nostalgic to be able to go back. So I haven't been able to go inside um, where I lived um, my junior and senior years, but it was definitely special to be able to go back to my freshman year. Maybe, maybe you will at one point. So I'm new to Oxford. So where do you recommend I go to eat out if I choose to dine out in Oxford? Where was your favorite place? Oh my goodness. So I used to love when I would study, I would go to Cafenia and they actually had really great sandwiches and bottomless coffee. So I used to do the bottomless coffee and I get, I think their turkey pesto sandwich and it was delicious. And I also love Indian food. So I used to go to Krishna quite a bit. And then Stein Keller's was great. I don't know if they still do it, but Thursday night they used to have live music and you could get food and, um, enjoy some drinks. It was really great. I need to try Steinkiller's, but Krishna is our, our regular favorite at the moment. And of course, we're not, we're choosing not to dine in sure. because of COVID, but we do order a curry on a Friday and it's our, it's our favorite. It's such good winter food, but it's actually quite good food as well. So I'm glad about that. What about in the weekend? What, what would you recommend I do recreationally in the weekend? On the weekend, I used to love, and it's funny because it's, it's, it doesn't seem like it's been, you know, five, six years now, but they used to have a um, farmer's market in certain parts of the year that I really enjoyed going to on Saturday mornings. Um, I loved doing that. And there was a uh, woman there who used to make these fresh breakfast sandwiches. I still dream about them. I don't know if she's still there, but they were so good. And I cooking was always another hobby of mine. So I was able to grab some fresh vegetables and, and ingredients and, and, and cook, which was great. I, um, I also loved going to Houston Woods as well. Very peaceful. Um, you know, it's funny. I had a friend in college who used to love to fly fish. <laughs> Unique hobby. I don't know. Um, so, you know, um, we would all, our group of friends would go out to Houston Woods and enjoy that. So. It's funny you mentioned about farmers market. So we 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 did go to the farmers market, and we uh, coming up Thanksgiving, we actually found a local farmer who was at farmers market who sold turkeys, and so we went and picked up one from her farm, and that was it was a really nice welcome to you know Oxford moment for us. It was it was special. So coming back to your time uh, here at, when you were at Oxford, I see you've done a lot of co-curricular things. Uh, so, for example, you were a fellow of the Centre for Business Leadership. So I'd love it if you could talk about that experience and how it shaped you as a leader and the opportunities it provided you both on campus and once you graduated. Yes, I think the centre and the other extracurricular activities that I held at Farmer um, really prepared me for the real world and, and getting out in the working world. And at the end of the day, it's about working hard when you when you might not have to, to, to solve problems. And it's about relationships. So in terms of the center, you know, every extracurricular you're a part of, no one's forcing you to do anything. This isn't a class where you're trying to get a grade. It's you're doing it either because you would hope because you enjoy it or you're trying to find some value, value in it. So I really enjoyed the work that we were doing at the center. It was trying to figure out how best to involve students. It was working on the annual conference that Brian and Dan held. And at that time, it was really building the structure for what the center is today. And on the relationship side, I um, met so many outstanding professionals who were Miami students themselves in many cases. So there was that special connection there. And it's in many ways how I found my first job out of school, how I found Parthenon and how I pursued 
that process was through the center. So truly invaluable that way. And in addition to that, you were involved in a business sorority, a fraternity and a sorority. So can you speak to those experiences as well, please? Sure. So I was in Chi Omega for my sorority. I was recruitment chair um, for one year uh, in that organization. And it was quite the experience mobilizing that many women to, you know, um, get through recruitment week, um, you know, and, and have an experience like that. I never thought that that was something I would do, but I, I look back on it fondly and it was a great leadership experience and to learn from others um, because it certainly wasn't something that I held expertise in or um, was super heavily involved. Um, but then when I got into that position, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. But on the PSE side, that was my first extracurricular activity really at Miami. I joined first semester, freshman year, and those are my first friends. And so that will always be something very special to me in that way. I was able to have a class in that camaraderie of you all enter this organization together, you take on projects. That's what's so neat about PSC is that it gives you real world experience while still being a student. You have a real life client, um, you have real life revenue, you know, it's just, it's interesting. So I, I really enjoyed Chi Omega and PSE for the experiences. And now that you've graduated, you're a member of YPAC, which is our Young Professionals Advisory Council. So tell me, why did you choose to join YPAC? And what's been your most memorable contribution to the Pharma School as a member of YPAC? Sure, so I chose to, jo to join YPAC because I truly believe that I would not be where I am today if it weren't for alumni believing in me, supporting me, and being there to help me along the way. From my beginnings uh, freshman year, all the way through when I graduated to my first job, and, and even, even now, those connections are something that I, I treasure. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, have made my career what it is and, and some of my most valued friendships. So I wanted to give back to that and be that person for another student, at least one or as many as I could. So at, at that, that's what I would say is, is what drove me to, to join YPAC is to be that person for someone else. Um, and in terms of my most memorable experience, what, what I've really enjoyed has been being able to go back and speak to classes. And I used to do a, um, series where I called it the first five years or your first phase out of school. And now I'm exiting that, which is crazy, but um, it's really about what to do right when you graduate. We talk so much about getting the internship or, you know, getting the good grades, but what happens once you get, and once you get the job, what happens after that? And so I, I've had um, students reach out and benefited, I think, from, from that content um, and really helping set them up for success in that first position. And I know that that's probably a topic in and of itself, but um, what are the headline advice points that you give to our listeners about the first five years? I think for the first five years, it's really, especially the first year or two that you're out of school, it's, it's okay to say that you don't know something. As a matter of fact, a lot of companies would expect you not, not to know something because you're freshly out of school you haven't had a full-time professional position yet in many cases, so that's okay. And there's a lot of 
strength and emitting when you don't know, because it allows you to know something faster and get up a learning curve faster. If you raise your hand, get the information, raise your hand, get the information, you get up faster than if you're trying to struggle through by yourself. Of course, there's a healthy balance of trying um, and figuring something out on your own, but I think admitting you don't know, there's a lot of strength in that um, and being able to admit you don't know and take on new, new projects. And I think as you start to get over that first, second year hump of, oh my goodness, what am I doing? <laughs> What's my job? Um, and you start to understand and, and really build a brand and reputation for yourself, um, you can work towards becoming a, a problem solver. And I always heard this, I heard this back in high school from um, one of my dance teachers. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. There are things that are, could be happening around you that aren't working right, or you think that you might have a solution to fix them. Be that person, Try volunteer with your manager and say, I'd like to fix this. Can I take a pass at it? If you become a person who is adding value beyond their job description and, and those little things that might take just a little bit more effort will set you so much farther apart um, in your professional development. And in a lot of ways, folks who have you know, a newer perspective or can be more outside looking in can put a fresh set of eyes on something and really provide a lot of value. So, so you know, we're heading into job hunting season for a lot of our seniors and internship hunting season. And there's a lot of pressure on our students at the moment. And especially with COVID, I think the circumstances are at best unusual and hard to predict. Uh, so with that in mind, my question is more about career strategy. And, and when you look back on your career and you look at others' careers, what advice would you give people when they're looking for their first opportunity upon graduation? And what's behind the question? A lot of people focus on starting salaries or, or brand name of the company they're going to or the title of the job they're having. And I take the view that a Miami grad, we know our graduates outperform competitors and they have incredible careers that that start well, but, but it's not all about the start. You know what I mean? The journey becomes really important too. So what advice could you give our seniors and our juniors about you know, how to start a career and what to look for when you're out on the job market? I think it's a great question. I will say these students, these graduating seniors must be so strong and are gonna to continue to be a class to watch because they were thrown into another world expecting to enter the one they've always known. So I think with that, they have an incredible amount of strength that will be respected for years to come. I couldn't imagine graduating in this environment and trying to navigate it and what I will say, this is from a person who didn't have to navigate it, but what I could say as someone who reviews resumes, um, works with students, what's important is if you want something, try and find a way to, to go after it, find a connection. I know for me, when I was going through consulting, recruiting, McKinsey didn't recruit at Miami. Wasn't an option. They never came. I remember I worked with... Um, Dave Lorick on it. And he said, I know an alumni who's a partner at McKinsey in Cleveland. And I thought, oh my goodness, great. So I was able to reach out to him, make a relationship and actually enter the recruiting process with that firm, which I never would have dreamt of <laughs> in, in the first place because it wasn't seen as a possibility. They weren't there. 
So what I would say is if that something doesn't seem like a possibility, look for connections to, to try and bridge the gap. That's so, so important. And I think your, your question on, on brand name is, is, is so true. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of weight that is put on that, especially when you want to have your best foot forward um, going into the, into the world. But I would say, take what you know now, what your reality is today. And you might not know what step one is, but you might know where you want to be in five, 10 years. Maybe you want to own your own business. Maybe you want to be a fortune 500 CEO down the line. A lot of those folks have had a myriad of paths that they've taken to get to where they are. So take the first step and, and take the jump. And if it's not what you, what you might've thought, still try to extract as much value out of it as you can be the star where you are and work hard. Because what I can say with, with Miami students is that I'm biased, I guess, but I think that we outwork anybody. Um, there is a culture that comes out of going to school, or maybe it's the type of folks that are attracted to the school. We, we work so hard. I, um, I was the only Miami student in my job out of school. Um, a lot of folks went to the same alma maters and had those connections at Ivy League or um, folk colleges like like Duke and more smaller private schools like Middlebury, all fantastic institutions. I didn't I didn't have those connections though in my in my first job. I didn't have someone who went to Miami to commiserate with, right? <laughs> but um, I think you know I was able to to forge relationships and connections with with the folks in my class right away, um, and really work hard. And you know at the end of the day, you're getting a amazing. Uh, an amazing education coming out of Miami. Your opportunities is while you're on campus have been endless in so many ways. There's so many companies that have come here to recruit in the last two to three years. There are so many extracurriculars that give you that edge up on your on your resume. So take advantage of them, um, market them and market yourself because you provide so much value. And again, if that opportunity in this environment wasn't what you thought it would be, Still, you never know until you're there, forge those connections, work hard. And at the end of the day, it's about that. It's about providing value and, and, and making the most out of any experience that you have. I love your answer. There's so many parts to that. And I just want to pause and reflect on a couple of them. And I think the reminder to our students that this group of students is probably one of the most resilient uh, groups of students we've had through in a long time. And I think the other thing that defines the student group is dealing with ambiguity and, and having to really live in the moment because we don't, none of us really know what tomorrow holds because it's just so fluid. So I think, you know, the way you framed your answer by reminding our students and alumni who are listening, just what 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 we've learned through COVID, and the, the resilience, the um, these characteristics are the ones that will drive through career searches, and I think they're really important pieces of advice. And to your point, you just have to get out and network. And the one thing that I'm grateful to our alumni for is that they're an incredibly engaged group of people who really want to do the best for our students as well. So it's important. And I love the other piece of advice is to I think careers are journeys, and, and, and you know that, but, um, but at the same time, as you're thinking about job today, think about what it might lead to in five years' time, or put it, putting it another way, look at a job that excites you now, 
that you might hold in five years time and reverse engineer that and just see what you need to be paying attention to today to lead you to that point. One of the things you also said in your answer is about working hard and people at Miami work hard. So I want to re refocus a little bit and talk about work-life balance. So I think for all of us, and, and I'm as guilty of this as the next person, you know, giving myself permission to do non-work things is always a challenge. So speak to me about how you, what does work-life balance mean to you? I think that's probably a good place to start because it, it takes on different meanings for different people. And then how do you um, manage to strike some kind of balance? Sure, I think it's a great question. And I would say, depending on where you are in your career, the current position that you're in, in terms of your industry and your job um, and expectations there. But I think nowadays, I don't even call it work-life balance. It's work-life integration, truly. And I, I heard it kind of around the last several years, but now it's really in the forefront. And I think that it's exceptionally true. Um, I'm sitting here talking to you on video through my laptop, but this is also my office. I'm sitting at a table. This is also where I'm living right now. There is no separation. There is no ability to leave the office um, and have that work-life balance um, and separate yourself. And in a lot of ways, a lot of the activities that we might do outside of work are restricted right now. We can't go to a group workout class necessarily or hang out with a bunch of our friends in person. So I would say work-life integration is what it is now. And I think with that, one thing that I'm really happy about and excited about where I work now is that there is a strong respect and recognition for that. And in a lot of ways, culture comes from the top and our CEO um, of our business unit had set out a list of guidelines for working from home in this environment and kind of wrote the book for us of do's and don'ts. And so if you have an expectation where you have to help a family member, because in times like this, you don't know what's going to come up. You mark your calendar as out of office for that period of time and people respect that. You only set meetings for 8.30 to 5. And if there's extenuating circumstances, fine. But give people the, that time outside of those hours to either get other work done or to your point, give themselves permission to take time for themselves, to cook, to work out, to go for a walk. Um, so I think with that, it's more work-life integration and finding that balance that works for each person. So for me, you know, I love waking up early. I like um, those quieter hours of the morning um, when I can have a coffee, um, maybe read. Um, we listen to Bloomberg surveillance in the morning. <laughs> um, it's just kind of a nice relaxing way to, to start the day. And I, I have that separation. And then, you know, I, I always make sure uh, in these environments, most of the time when I can, I, I take that break for lunch. Either I use it to eat or cook something nice for myself or do a 30 minute workout, like a virtual workout or something like that. And it's having those little breaks in your day throughout the day, I think that make, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me, it makes it more sustainable to have at least a, a routine where I can, but, or those pockets of time that are for me and, and bringing more variety in terms of what I do with those pockets of time that I have. You raise some really important points because it's so easy to let the day just blend together isn't it? all the parts of the day. But yeah. to give ourselves permission to take time is, is, is healthy at the best of times. But I think more so 
right now. So if you look back at any part of your time at Miami, what, if anything, would you do differently? Oh, goodness. Um, what would I do differently? I, that's a tough one because I always look back at Miami as some of the best times in my life. I look so fondly at school and what I was involved in. I think what I would do differently is I, I was involved in so many things. Um, and I think with that, you know, you meet a lot of different groups of people. You, you are always busy. I felt like I was always going somewhere, either going to class, going to a project meeting, going to an extracurricular meeting. And I wish that maybe I'd taken a little bit more time to slow down. Um, because you don't get to go around twice. You, you go through that time in your life once when you're, you know, a brand new freshman, first year rather, all the way to graduation. Um, I would say that I, I slowed down more my, my senior year and really enjoyed it. But I would say even before that, I think, I think there's a lot of value in being able to, to slow down just a little bit more, and which is what I've, I've taken into my life today. Coming out of school and going into consulting, I certainly wasn't moving slowly. <laughs> um, but, but now, you know, I, I would say that it, it's important to, to really be in the moment and really, really enjoy it. If I was to change anything, I think I would, would have slowed down a little bit more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's tough because I don't want to take any of it back because it was all great. So. But, but I love your answer because as you've already mentioned through this interview, you know, Farmer School in Miami is a very special place and we have extraordinary academic experiences. We have abundant co-curricular experiences there for the taking and we have a lot of opportunities to practice, to engage in experiential learning. So you've got three legs of a stool, if you will, and we always tell incoming freshmen to receive the, the many gifts that we're here to give you and it's up to you to receive those gifts and as you've you, you did receive them all <laughs> and some. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So as I close, Mary, I'd like to thank you for the gift of your time to allow us to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of the Pharma School of Business is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, faculty, staff, and other alumni. So thank you, Mary, and go well as you continue in your journey beyond High Street. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you today.